0: Hey, everybody, welcome to BRCC. Those that are here in-house and those that are watching online, we want to welcome you. Now, today is one of those messages that, that really causes you to stop and think, do, do I really believe... What God says, and am I really living the way that God wants me to live? Today's a little bit heavy. It's a little bit challenging. Uh, you, you need to know this. I'm not uh, against you. I'm for you. I love you. Uh, I I love God's word. We love God's word here at BRCC. So we're going to open it up, and we're going to see what it says to us, and, and we're going to let it just read our lives rather than letting our lives read into it, all right? So wh- where we ended last week, we were in chapter 9 of 1 Corinthians, and the very last word was was the word disqualified. Paul had said, I, I wanna I wanna discipline my body. I want to be self-controlled so lest after I get done preaching that I might be disqualified. Qualified, And now as we turn into the next chapter, chapter 10, he's going to give us an example of disqualification, and he's going to talk about the Israelites and how they disqualified themselves, many of them, from entering into the promised land. So if we're going to understand some of this, we need to remember some history, okay? So remember the Israelites, uh, they were in bondage in Egypt after Joseph. They were there for 400 years, and then eventually God brings along a guy named Moses, and Moses leads them. out of Egypt uh, through the parted sea into the wilderness. And then when they get out there into the wilderness, they're now free, but there's no food. And so they're hungry. And so God gives them this bread and they call the bread manna. And manna just literally means, what is it? And so they wake up one morning and there's this bread on the ground and they go, hey Moses, what is it? He's like, yeah, what is it? They're like, yeah, what is it? He's like, right, what is it? You got to love the Hebrew language, right? Whatever it is, they just name it that thing. So like if you got a kid and it's an ugly kid, you're like, man, that is one ugly kid. We're going to name you ugly baby. And that's just your name for the rest of your life. So here they have this manna, and they get sick of manna because they're having manna every single day. Uh, anybody remember Keith Green, uh, singer Keith Green? He had a song, uh, So You Want to Go Back to Egypt, and there's this part in there where they're talking about like, all the different ways that they're cooking up the manna to try to make it taste better. Uh, so you got like uh, uh, manna hotcakes and manna souffle. Uh, you got hot, or, uh, manna waffles, Uh, manna burgers, manna bagels, manna bread, right? All these different ways, all these different ways. They're like, we're sick and tired of manna. God, we want some meat. He's like, oh, okay, you want some meat. All right, well, I'm gonna give you some quail. And in fact, I'm going to give you so much quail. Numbers eleven twenty. He says, I'm going to give you so much quail, it's going to come out of your nostrils until it becomes loathsome. You got to read God's word. It's amazing, right? Isn't that like what we say to our kids? Like, you're just going to keep eating this until you get sick of it. So he gives them quail. So over and over, God is providing for them. They're out in the wilderness. God has provided freedom. They have liberty. They have protection. There's one point where they're thirsty and they need water. So Moses strikes a rock and out comes this water that they need. They've got this bread. They have the meat. They have everything that they need. And yet these individuals, as we watch them in the wilderness, they lacked self-control and they were disqualified. And many of them did not enter the promised land. And that's where we pick up 1 Corinthians 10, verse 1. Paul says to the Corinthians, for I don't want you to be unaware, brothers, that our fathers were all under the cloud. So the cloud is the spirit that's leading them during the day. There's a pillar of fire by night. And all passed through the sea. That's the parting of the Red Sea. And all were baptized into Moses. That word baptized, that means identification. They were all identified with Moses in the cloud and in the sea. And all ate." the same spiritual food and all drank the same spiritual drink for they drank from the spiritual rock that followed them and the rock was christ now here's what paul is going to be saying to the corinthians you corinthians you think you're fine you say hey we're saved we've been baptized we take communion good enough we can we're strong we can do what we want that we don't need to go any further And Paul's going to say, hey, look, what we have is an example for us. We have the Israelites, and they were baptized. They go through the Red Sea. They were baptized. They're taking uh, the spiritual meat. They're taking the spiritual bread. They're taking the spiritual drink, just like we take communion. And yet, they led uncontrolled lives. They were not self-controlled, and they disqualified themselves. And God took many of them out, killed them, and they did not make it into the promised land. And we don't want to be like them. He says, nevertheless, verse five, nevertheless, with most of them, God was not pleased for they were overthrown in the wilderness. Meaning God killed some of them. Like they, they sinned, they were doing evil and God took them out. Some of them complained and God took them out. He killed them. Now that blows our mind. That blows our mind in this modern day because we think, well, this, this God that we have in the New Testament, he's different than the God in the Old Testament, but that's not true. He is the same God. And so this blows our mind because the God that we think about, man, he's just always just really, really happy with us. Like he's always looking at us like if we can just give him a little bit of attention, like a little doggy, that's fine. Like he's happy with that. God's doing cartwheels when you come to church. He's just so excited when you pray or when you give him a little bit of money. Like, God's just like, hey, I'm so glad you paid some attention to me. My life wasn't complete without you before. Thank you. You complete me. You make me happy. Don't worry about God. You do your own thing. You come up with your own standard. You don't need his standard. You do your standard. Don't worry about him. God's just like some old daft uncle. Here we read. There were people who he was not pleased with. And I'm like, well, why? I mean, we we got baptized, we're taking communion. Why is all this going on? Verse six, now these things, Paul says, took place as examples for us that we might not desire evil as they did. So this lack of self-control, this evil that they desired, it caused them to run their life just right off the track. You and I have to be careful how we live. We need to live self-controlled lives, lives that are submitted to God, Because we could end up wrecking ourselves. We could wreck our lives. We could wreck lives around us. We don't just get to live however we want in our own eyes to please ourselves. There is a God in heaven who is the same yesterday, today, and forever, who has a standard for us, who loves us enough to have given us his word on the matter, on how to live. And so you have these Israelites And they're committing these sins and they're disqualifying themselves because they are not self-controlled. So what were they doing? Well, we have a list of things here. The first thing that we see is idolatry. They were involved in idolatry. Idolatry means like there's just, there's one God. There's one God. There's, There's only one number one. There's only one number one in your life. Now, you can say you have a number one, but there is a real number one. And God says, I am the most important thing. In this world and to you, I want first position. Anything else, that's idolatry. So Paul writes, don't, do not be idolaters as some of them were. So Israel was idolatrous. And this really strikes at the issue of what's happening here in Corinth. It was part of their entire society. They were faced with these temptations day in and day out because of the culture that they lived in. They had freedom. Just like Israel had been brought out, they had freedom. And yet the world, the society was calling to them. And so they're saying, look, we've been baptized. We've taken communion. We, we know the spirit. We're strong. We can do whatever we want to do. Like we can go to the festivals. That's fine. We can climb that mountain. We can go up to the temple. We don't have to be involved in temple prostitution. Like we, we can have meat offered to idols. We can get hammered at communion. We're going to get there in a moment, right? Like we, we're really strong. We're really strong. And we've made it. We've arrived. We can handle it. They couldn't handle it. Because society was washing over them. And we face the same thing. Right? Don't you see it? Don't you feel it? You feel it? We have a world that is seeking to destroy biblical morality. Because there's two kingdoms opposed. We have a kingdom of this world and we have the kingdom of heaven. And there's a battle going on for people's souls. It's a religion. right? It's not as if the world is neutral. We keep trying to convince ourselves or we hear other people say, no, we can just be neutral in certain areas. We don't need God. We don't need God in education. You can be neutral. No, you can't. You don't need God in politics. We'll just be neutral in politics. That's not possible either. What do they do in Congress? They make laws. What are laws? Moral. And moral law. So where are we going to go for moral law? Are we going to make it up on our own? Or should we go to God's? moral law. Don't don't be deceived. You feel it, you sense it. In fact, I'm going to say some things that other people, they're afraid to say, but I'm just going to go ahead and say it because I don't care. The greatest good in this world right now to this religion, the religion of the moment, the religion of the world, the highest virtue is tolerance. Just tolerant, be tolerant. That's not the end game. The end game is law. The end game is moral. Where are we going to get it from? God's word or from the God of this age. So be tolerant. Well, tolerant doesn't mean what you think that it means. We might think that it means, well, I'm just going to put up with you. No, I don't want you to just put up with me. Like, I would want you to love me. Being tolerant, that's not very loving. We're not called to be tolerant. We're called to be loving. Tolerant is, "Ah, I'll just put up with you. That's not what they're looking for. They're looking for acceptance. Those who are in the world operating according to the world system is looking for acceptance. So you need to agree. You can't disagree. If you disagree, you have to keep your mouth shut. Right? Because, again, it's a religion, and if you don't keep your mouth shut, you will be excommunicado. Excommunicated. Well, They call it canceled. Moves from tolerance, acceptance, then it moves to celebration. You got to You gotta celebrate with us. In fact, we need a month of celebration. We need a parade of celebration. We need a flag of celebration. But it doesn't stop at celebration. You need to participate. Where's your flag? Where's your rainbow? Bake the cake. But it doesn't stop there either because it begins to change because we just get overwhelmed with how many people like, well, I guess this must be right because it is what the current religion is saying. And so before long, you begin to find participation in places that you didn't think there'd be participation before. Like, what are you doing? Friday. I read on Friday, this last Friday, Disciples of Christ Church, Katy, Texas, had drag queen bingo at church. So you're like, well, that's, it's just, well, it's bingo. No, it's more than bingo because I read at the bottom, they'll take Venmo or cash tips. So there's performing. Like, that's the tip of the iceberg. I got a lot more, but this message isn't about that. It's about the flow of the culture and the world system that wants to keep moving us to this place of not just participation. There's a law against that. You can't say that. You can't believe that. Your ESG score isn't right. You don't have enough. You're done. And before long... The world system and its religion keeps pushing us, pushing us, pushing us to a place in which there is moral decay or outright perversion. And it shows up in the church. Yep. What begins to happen is we move in the realm of syncretism. Syncretism is where you begin to have and mix your faith with worldliness. Right? We just want to look like the, the world, like, man, we don't want them to think that we're not tolerant. We, we, we want to look just like them we want them to befriend us no, what we need to be able to do is speak the truth in love none of this is about anger none of this is about a particular person this is about a God of this world pushing against the God of the universe who wants to take souls and for us to sit back and let that culture wash over us irresponsible sinful sinful See, what had happened is for the Israelites, they get out, they get freedom, but they never really let go of Egypt. They still had the world. How do I know that? Well, about 20 minutes out of Egypt, Moses is up on the mountain getting the moral law of God. Meanwhile, down in the camp, everybody's like, Moses is taking too long. You know what we need to do? We need to make our own God. We need to make God to worship. And Aaron is like, okay, well, just throw your gold into the fire. And then, poof, out comes a cow. And now they're worshiping a cow as their God. The Corinthians come to God, but they couldn't let go of the world, the flesh, everything that held on to them, and they kept living in the same world way. And we face the same thing in our own world with our own idolatry and the gods of this age, the God of fame, the God of money, the God of ego, the God of education, the God of sports, the God of sex, the God of health, the God of cars, the God of culture. And what we find are the things of this world trying to grab hold of our heart. And we begin to mix in with a true worship of God, all the things of this world. And God says, there's only one number one. I want To be your number one, God says. We face idolatry all around us. It gets on the inside. We see this in the book of Ezekiel. There's some people that come before Ezekiel. They want to hear a word from God. So they come to the prophet. Let me just read this to you. Ezekiel 14 verses three and four. I think this nails it on the head. Son of man, that's Ezekiel. These men have taken their idols into their hearts and set the stumbling block of their iniquity, that sin, before their faces, should I indeed let myself be consulted by them Therefore, speak to them and say to them, thus says the Lord God, any one of the house of Israel who takes his idols into his heart and sets the stumbling block of his iniquity before his face and yet comes to the prophet, I, the Lord, will answer him as he comes with a multitude of his idols. And do you think God will say when you got your arm full of idols and you're before him, go ahead, keep your idols, that's fine, I'll move on down the list. No, he says, repent. The next words he gives is, repent, put the abomination behind you. I'm number one. You will worship no other. So the Israelites serve as an example for us not to move in the realm of idolatry. The next thing, here's the next thing. They were, didn't have self-control, and so it shows up in sexual sin. Verse 7. Second part of verse 7 says, as it is written... The people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. Now, this is attached to the first part of verse 7 where it talks about idolatry. It goes all the way back to Exodus chapter 32. Moses is on top of the mountain getting the law of God. The people are down below. They're like, hey, let's, let's make a God. Let's make an idol. The term rose up to play, that is a euphemism for orgy. Sometimes the Bible holds back. Because it's like, this is just too gross. Moses is on the mountain, getting the law of God. God says to Moses, Moses, you better get down there. Your people are sinning. They've made a they've made a calf. So Moses gathers the tablets, the law of God, begins to head down the mountain, catches up with Joshua. They round the corner, they hear what sounds like war, but no, wait, that's singing and dancing. They turn the corner, and Moses sees his congregation. Which rose up to play. And he throws those tablets down because he's angry. He already knew they were worshiping a calf. What set him up? He saw his congregation in an orgy. We must not indulge in sexual immorality as some of them did. And 23,000 fell in a single day. That means God killed them. People are still dying as a result of sexual immorality. Marriages are still falling apart as a result of sexual immorality. Individuals are hurt because of sexual immorality. People are dying and going to hell because of sexual immorality. What is it What is it that would disqualify someone, a lack of self-control in creating these idols, some God that is not the true God, Sexual sin, and then the next thing he says would be tempting God. We must not, verse 9, we must not put Christ to the test as some of them did and were destroyed by Serpents, again, back in the wilderness, this time, Numbers chapter 21, they're just like, hey, we want this, we want this, God, give us this, we want this, right? They're complaining. Numbers 21, verse 4, they, they were impatient. Then in 25, or 21, verse 5, it says this, and the people spoke against God and against Moses, why have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? For there's no food and no water, and we loathe this worthless food thought you said there was no food. Yeah, there's food. We just don't like this food. So God sends poisonous serpents and they start dying, complaining, right? Some people keep pushing God, testing God. Like how far can I go with this God? Idolatry, sexual sin, tempting God. The fourth thing that caused them disqualification and this hits home for me complaining complaining nor grumble as some of them did and were destroyed by the destroyer again back in the wilderness this time numbers chapter 16 you got Korah and his band of yahoos who are rising up against God rising up against Moses and Aaron they come and they say hey Moses you you've set yourself up over us who do you think you are You're not serving God. We're here to serve God. So Korah's stirred up the whole congregation, the whole Israelite people, 250 other individuals from the tribe of Levi, and they've got their censers. And we don't need you, Moses. We're going to do it our way. Moses is like, I don't think so. Let's meet tomorrow morning. Let's meet, and everybody, all 250, Moses and Aaron, they're going to have their censers. We're going to put incense in those censers, and we're going to come before God. So they gathered the next morning. So Korah's got everybody. He's got the 250. He has the congregation. And God says, tell everybody step away from Korah. <laughs> tell them to get away from Korah, from Dathan and Abiram. And Moses says, you best step away. Because if these guys just simply die the way most mortal men die, well, then I truly am not talking on behalf of God and you should follow them, but if something should happen to these guys, and they die in a way that's brand new that we've never seen before, well, then I'm serving the Lord, people step away, there they stand, the ground opened up, opened up, the earth swallowed them, and their families, and their tents, and all their stuff, and they went straight down, and then the ground covers back up, and everybody else, what did they do? right? And they're running. They're screaming. The ground might swallow us. Let's just run. The 250 guys running with their sensors, fire from heaven. Boom. They're gone. Toast. What would you do? You have seen people be swallowed by the earth. You've seen fire fall and take out these people who weren't following God. What do you do? Well, what they do? Well, the next day, next day, They come and complain and say, Moses, you killed the servants of God. So God's like, I guess we're not done here. (laughs) He sends a plague. They start dying. So God in his mercy, Moses turns to Aaron and says, get your censer, put incense in it, and then start running through the congregation so that we might make atonement for them so that God might relent so that they might be saved. I mean, they're just complaining. When we complain, what we're griping against is we're dissatisfied with God. God, I don't like the way that you're doing it. I don't like the way that you've done things in my life, so I don't agree with you, and I'm just gonna complain. The whole desert of Israel is just strewn with complaining carcasses. Verse 11. Now, these things happened to them as an example, but they were written down for our instruction. On whom the end of the ages has come. So this lack of self-control that ends up getting us disqualified, it happens as we move toward idolatry and sexual sin, and we tempt God, and we complain, and we gripe. We can't flirt with the old lifestyle. Then he says in verse 12, Therefore, let anyone who thinks that he stands take heed lest he fall. This is interesting, because if you've been tracking, he's been talking to the Corinthians about self-denial, self-control. So they had no self-denial. They had no self-control. Oh, but they had self-confidence. He's saying the problem is you're overconfident. What you've lacked in style, you've made up in denial, and you think that you have arrived, and there's nothing that could happen in your life that would cause you to move in a direction away from me. He's saying the most dangerous place for you to be Is this place in your life where you think, hey, I'm mature. I have made it. I can really do this life on my own. I don't have any problems with temptation. There's no issues with me. I've got a pure heart. Everything's great. And when you're at that spot and you think you're standing firm, you are in the most precarious position because that is the moment in which we fall because we think that it rests on us and our power. So what are the things in your life? that you need to have a plan because there's things that want to pull you down, to pull you away from God, to grab hold of your heart, to set itself up as number one, to blend in with the society and just simply make a religion of your own making and begin to reject the God. What is your plan in those places? Because we can't be sauntering through life thinking I've arrived, I've made it. Not a problem for me, but we're not without victory. Watch this, verse 13 no temptation has overtaken you. That's not common demand. We're going to man. We're gonna come back to that idea about common demand. God is faithful and he, he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. The beautiful part is even through the temptation, he can bring you out on the other side and use you for his glory. Now, what we find here, the very first part is there's no sin. There's nothing that comes your way that isn't common to man. All the things that we've talked about already, common to everybody. There's nothing that comes at you that hasn't come to others. But the problem we have is we, we think that we're different than others. Our sins aren't bad. Everybody else's sins, they're really bad, right? I don't, you, you don't have big sins. You got the little sins. You got the little sins like gossip and comparison and materialism, right? You don't commit adultery, <laughs> You lust all the time. You don't lie, except for when you have to. You don't gossip all the time. We think that we're good. We think that we're fine. And that's the way most people think. Like, I'm a good person. In fact, a statistic I saw not long ago, they did a survey. Eight out of ten evangelical Christians, eight out of ten, if you ask them, are, are people basically good or basically bad? Eight out of 10 say, oh, they're basically good. People are basically good. Well, according to what standard? When you walk around and you think, well, everybody's basically good. And you got to do more good than bad. That's humanism. When it comes to good, it depends on what standard you're using. And when we have the standard of God's word and we look at mankind, it tells us that every single one of us are evil and sinful and we need a savior. Every one of us need Christ. We need to repent and receive him and make him Lord and put him first. The Bible calls this thing where we're lost and separated. It calls it uh, the doctrinal term would be total depravity. And when I say total depravity, you're like, oh, that's, that person's vile. Total depravity isn't utter depravity. All right, utter depravity is I could always do worse. I could always do more bad total depravity just simply means you're as bad off as you can be it is a radical corruption of our heart our soul where we are sinful rebellious individuals and there's not anybody that's good there was no one righteous the bible says no not one for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of god we're not good and i know what happens when i say that kind of thing you're like well you've never met my grandma my grandma's really good My grandma's a sweet lady. You're going to tell me my grandma's not good? Any kind of thought that would set itself up and say, no, I'm good. I'm good. I don't need God. I don't need to repent. I don't need Jesus. That is the sin of rebellion and pride that sets itself up against a God that says we are sinful, we are unholy, and we are imperfect. And there is a God who is perfect, and there is no way we're getting into God's perfect, holy heaven on our own because we don't have our own righteousness. And so God wants you to deal with your sin, not your perceived sin of comparing yourself to somebody else. None of, none of Christianity is about us being better than anyone else. We're not any better than anybody else. And I, I'm, I'm in the same boat you are and I do the same kind of thing, like even in my head, I get to this place where I look at certain people. I look at certain Christians. I'm like, man, their prayer life, their, the way that they live their life, they're a real Christian. I'm a wreck. Like compared to them, I'm a mess and I'm a pastor. I have slipped in at that moment into the insidious comparison of my life to somebody else. When the Bible tells us we're not to compare ourselves to any other person, only to the righteousness of God and God alone. And when we hold ourselves up to the righteous, holy, magnificent, pure God, and we see ourselves for who we are, we have sinned and we need a savior. That's the only person you'd compare yourself to. You don't compare yourself to the really evil people or the really moral people. We all need Jesus because we are all sinners. I realize some of you are probably thinking right now, that sermon was heavy. Like, is is there... I just feel like heavy, I feel guilt, I feel condemnation. Can I come to church and you just kind of like boost my ego in some way? Uh, Here I am, I have this, what I hope is conviction. And you're thinking, man, is there any good news? Is there anything good? Yeah, here's the good news. All of the wrath that was due you has been placed on Jesus. I can't think of any better news then you don't have to sit there condemned. You can receive forgiveness because of what Jesus did because none of this has been based on you. If it was based on you, your life would be perfect, but it's not. And so God in his love sends his son, Jesus Christ, who takes the full wrath of God so that you don't have to. And when you begin to receive the grace that was extended to you through Jesus Christ on the cross, shedding his blood, dying in your place, buried in a grave, rose again, ascended to heaven, sent his spirit, you receive that by grace, you'll be saved. I can't think of any better news. And when you do that, when you receive this, you won't be disqualified. Because it's not based on your work. It's based on his work for you. And you can get into the promised land. Let's pray. Father, I am a sinner. I fall short of your glory. I miss the mark. Wash me, cleanse me, renew my mind, renew my heart. Set my feet on a path that follows hard after you. I thank you, Lord, that for anybody in this room who has come to this understanding, this realization, I believe that God is calling out to me that you, in this moment, you can wash them, cleanse them, so that they might receive the righteousness of Christ, his righteous robe, taking their dead life, giving them a life in Christ a true life, a cleansed life. We thank you for the gospel. We thank you for this good news that we don't have to hold the wrath that you have in store for those who rebel. Thank you for your mercy. Thank you for your grace extended through our Savior, Jesus Christ. We follow you. We make you Lord. Thank you, Lord Jesus. In your name we pray, amen. Once again, thanks for listening.